Good afternoon, good evening, good morning, wherever in the world you may find yourself. I'm Nicole BZ, and you know everything. I am currently in Tuscany. I was here for just over a week, but busting out a couple episodes. And I, God, I have like this book and rereading it. The first time someone recommended it to me was pretty early on. And you're going to hear the book pages turning. So deal with it. I don't know. It's fine. Yeah. So it was published in 2000. Okay. So I think I read this like around 2008, 2009. It was probably like sort of recession time. I was living in Australia. And so as an American, of course, I was freaking out about everything. But instead, I don't like to brag. I don't think you're listening to this and offended by the way I live my life. But I've had some pretty amazing like timing. (laughs) Despite the fact that I feel like I'm basically a bull in a china shop, just like constantly taking like crazy leaps of faith and then like crash landing and getting up and dusting myself off while everybody points and laughs and then running full speed ahead and doing it again. And I was in the process of having like a nervous breakdown after getting my MBA while running my record label, starting an international touring company. And oh, and then I started managing this international nonprofit. And my partner was like, that's weird because you don't hang out with me ever. And I was like, that's weird because I feel like you're being really high maintenance right now. Uh, Turns out partnership also like business takes time and attention. So that didn't go well. But we had been I'd been spending every weekend. The process for looking for a house in Australia was wildly different than the United States. And at that point in Sydney, it was sort of the top of that particular market cycle. And it was insane. Like Sydney was one of the most expensive real estate markets in the world. And you like properties are auctioned and you there's no showings like you. They basically have like one time on the weekend where like 150 people show up and like elbow each other out of the way to see it. And it was just insanity. Yeah. So I'd been doing that like whenever I was actually in Sydney that like I would hit the ground and go to as many of these timings as I could thinking that my partner and I were going to be going in on this together. And then we separated. And I was like, I've just invested too much time and energy into this. I'm still doing this. And then the Australian government was offering first time home buyers grants, which like in the United States, LOL. <laughs> but the fact that somebody was going to match my down payment up to a certain amount blew my fucking mind. So I made it happen. And then my mom got sick. There's there's years that transpired in between this. So I think I bought that place in like 2008. I'm going off on a massive tangent out the gate, out the gate. We're getting this going. But my mom got sick. Within weeks, I decided to move back. I hired a property manager, rented my place out for about a year. It was cash flowing, but it was just too it was too much for me. It felt like too much of a stretch. And I had realized I wasn't going to be back in Australia as soon as I thought that I was going to be back. So I went to sell the place. A very dear friend of mine helped me with that. And I ended up selling it for twice as much, twice as much as I bought it for. Like, that's insane. And that was all happening. So that would have happened like 2014 or beginning, beginning of 2014. And so I think I own the property. What is that like? Five, six years. I can't remember exactly when I bought it. I can't even remember why I started telling the story. So that's that's a really strong start, BC. Let's get back to <laughs> the diamond cutter. Oh, that's why. Because I think I read this book when I thought my entire fucking life was falling apart. And I know I've shared this story with you before, but uh, it was at this 
management workshop for music managers. And I was talking with this amazing organizational psychologist, kind of like at the time, like the, an executive coach to the creme de la creme of the music industry. And he was talking to me about stress and the pressure that we put on ourselves and worrying and anxiety and just really, really how to manage that. And so this book, I think, was recommended then. I could be totally making that up. But it it was profound to me because it, on the one hand, offers very prescriptive advice. But the author of this book, I'm going to butcher his name, but Geishi Michael Roach and Lama Christy McNally. So Geishi spent almost 20 years studying Buddhism and essentially got a master's in Buddhism. And at the time, yeah, so that's what actually Geshi means. I am not a Buddhist, you guys. So apologies to any Buddhists in the room. I'm probably not going to get this right. I, you know, like every white girl who lived in LA, I did get my yoga teacher certificate. But that's about as, and I've been a vegetarian for 25 years. But outside of that, that's, that's sort of where my, uh, my Buddhist tendencies stop. But so at the time, and according to, to the author, he was one of the only Americans to have, oh, he says, I became the first American to complete the 20 years of rigorous study and examinations required to earn the ancient degree of Geshe or Master of Buddhist Learning. And so what's interesting is that, and I'm, I'm going to kind of skip through this because what I realize is this is going to be a two-part episode. So I'm going to get into his prescriptive advice because I thought it was fucking fascinating. Then the next episode is really going to be more about the transformational offerings of this particular framework in terms of business and your own personal and professional success. It's absolutely profound. It 100% reiterates and validates everything we've been talking about on all of these episodes ever. And so I, I say that not because like, I'm right, <laughs> but I fucking love how all of this shit just interweaves. So whether you're a Buddhist or a neuroscientist, whether you're an, you know a Harvard MBA or sitting on the side of a mountain meditating with a grain of rice in your mouth, like we're all drinking the same Kool-Aid. We're all tripping the light fantastic. And, and I just, I think that's just really fucking cool. So one of the things that my understanding, my very limited understanding that happens with Buddhist study is you are meant to then take your learnings into a space that needs them. And so because of his American background, his mentor, for lack of a better term, I'm sure they have some word for it that I'm missing, but his mentor was saying, like, you need to go to corporate America. You need to go to corporate America because this guy also, I left this part out, he graduated from Princeton University, which if you're not from the United States, like Princeton University is like the creme de la creme of four-year colleges and universities. It's called, it's one of the Ivy Leagues. And to go there is very, very prestigious. But he graduated with the presidential scholarship in international affairs. So not only did he go to one of the best universities, he was the best student in international affairs. And then he went and studied Buddhism for 20 years. And so then he comes back to work in corporate America. And what he decided was to work in the diamond industry, hence the name of the book, The Diamond Cutter. And there are a gajillion analogies about diamonds in the diamond industry that I'm not going to get into because otherwise this would be like a 10-hour fucking recording. But know that the business he started with was started with three people and a $50,000 loan. And by the time he left, their sales were in excess of $100 million US dollars, and they had over 500 employees and offices around the world. So this isn't just some Buddhist being like, yo, you should feel good and meditate. This is, this is an incredibly experienced, probably one of the most intelligent and most successful business owners and leaders 
in the United States, potentially in the world. And he did that by trying to run the the division of Buddhist principles through business. And he also did this without anybody knowing it. These principles are make money, enjoy the money, and ensure that there's some meaning in this experience and the money that you're making. So we're going to get more into that, into the sort of philosophies about this in the next episode. But he kind of rolls it into these like seven rules. And from there, what I'm going to tell you are he goes through these different principles and they're essentially what he perceives as to be the most common problems in business. And he calls them, yeah, the typical business problems and their real solutions according to the wisdom of the diamond cutter. And so these are these Buddhist principles being applied, these sort of seven rules. And what I found so fascinating at the time when I read this is these were very acute and specific problems that I was experiencing. But now in going back and rereading this, I see the patterns. And there's basically three solutions to every single problem in life and business. And if that's not profound, I don't fucking know it is. I'm just trying to get the number on these. The correlations are the most common business problems. I want to say there was 46. Hold on. Do you like how I'm saying, hold on, like we're actually sitting in the same room talking with each other right now? That's how I think about this. So I don't know if that's how it feels for you, but that's absolutely my intention. So, I mean, I like, I think it's 46. Yeah, we're going to say it's 46. I'm not going to go through all 46. I did that kind of with Think and Grow Rich because I think and grow rich those were more like principles that all apply that was the first episode of the quantum business book club and i would encourage you to go look at it there's also a free resource so you can actually like everything i'm kind of talking about is mapped out and outlined and referred back to and it, it's it's much more of a like how to this is a, a reframe and so like you will resonate with many of the specific problems in this and the solutions They'll challenge you. They'll challenge you in a way that's like what's like your best friend calls you out, like you called a bitch about somebody and they're like, I think you're just gossiping and this has way more to do about you than it does them. And you're like, oh, shit, bitch. Right in the kisser. So I'm going to summarize with the ones that I think are probably, I don't know, the ones that are resonating with me most right now. I think I've pulled out about seven of them. But before I get to that, what the author believes is like everything in balance, right? And giving brings wealth. Ethics create a good world. Patience brings beauty. Effort creates eminence. Concentration brings peace. Wisdom creates freedom. And compassion creates it all. And I think you saw the pattern there. Bring, create, bring, create, bring, create bring, create. And it is all about giving, ethics, patience, effort, concentration, wisdom, and compassion. And so essentially by applying those seven principles, you can expect wealth, a good world, beauty, eminence, that is the expectation, right? Peace, freedom, and, and all of those things come from compassion. Those are what I would suggest are kind of like the foundations for each one of these solutions. So the business problem that he goes through and then the solution. So just to like randomly, some examples, regardless of how well you do in your work, the people around you are always criticizing you. Corruption is a problem in your business and it's regulation by government or in the way companies interact or in the way individual employees behave. People around you don't step forward to help you out when you most need it. 
You live in a business or a social climate where integrity is simply not respected, where only fools are strictly ethical and every hour of their business or day, nice guys finish last. So just like really fucking specific, right? 46 of those. And I kind of started to generalize. So like I said, I'm not going to go through each one of the 46. The Diamond Cutter by Geishi Michael Roach and Lama Christy McNally. You can get it yourself. It's been revised recently and it's, it's phenomenal. That's why we're talking about it. But so one of the, I think, a very common problem that can show up a lot of different ways in business is unstable income. You don't know where your money's coming from. You don't know how much money you have. You don't know when your next sale is coming. You don't know how to be predictive in your profits. You should get my profit calculator if you don't know how to do that. But uncertainty in finances is a pretty common problem. So the solution to that is generosity. He suggests when you share with people who have helped you produce your success thus far, you will experience stability in your income. And I thought, you know, it's like when we think about this in terms of balance, that's where like even just saying that out loud, I feel something move in me. When I recognize the people who have helped me, when I reward my clients for referrals, when someone shares an article or a post that I've written, like that reciprocity is both contagious and compounding. And I'll say what you appreciate appreciates. And the most generous people I know who are truly giving from a place of like that full cup, right? So you're not giving, it's funny, I just talked about this in the decision-making podcast episode. You're not giving to manipulate a situation. You're not giving to, I'm not rewarding somebody so they bring me clients. I'm rewarding somebody because I think it's fucking amazing that they had such a positive experience. They told other people about it. That is, that's how I create flow. Like, Literally, it's like, oh, money in, money out, money in, money out. And so if you're feeling like money is super unstable, where could you be more generous? Where could you recognize the people who have helped you thus far? And that's not to say you give them money. But one of the things I talk about in my little energy booster that's in part of the anti-business school is like sending gratitude messages on Fridays or like when you're feeling really stressed out or fucked up, like thinking, asking someone, like, how can I help you? Start to feel what that does for you. It really, really opens things up. And that's where opportunities happen. That's where change happens. That's where you start to create this certainty and uncertainty. So the next problem, and I think, again, I'm sort of summarizing a handful in here, is when we're, there's never enough. We don't give ourselves enough credit, that we don't have enough success, there's not enough money. Or kind of the flip side of this coin is we don't enjoy it. So even though we've built the damn thing, we've got the team, we've got the house or the car, or the partner or the bot or whatever the fuck it is, like we're not enjoying it because we just continually, we continually don't appreciate it. It's, it's never enough. The solution for this, again, like a little, I get like funny feelings in my tummy when I, when I read these. Never begrudge others and appreciate everything you have. I think that last one is probably pretty obvious in terms of balance, but never begrudge others. I think especially with so much marketing happening online and it's pretty easy to accuse somebody of just being like a hype machine or bragging or 
being envious of somebody else's success or position and then almost kind of blaming them for their circumstance. Like they're married to someone who's rich or they came from money or they went to Princeton University or they're pretty or they're young or whatever the like they're unethical. They're a dickhead. They're willing to do things. I'm not willing to do whatever that judgment might be. Like what the author is suggesting here is the reason you can't enjoy what you have or you feel like you never have enough is because of the way that you judge others. That one at that at the time, and there's specific business problems he gets into in this, like I listed one off where the people around you never respect you. One thing, if you know me well, then this one's a little vulnerable for me to share, but if you know me well, you'll, you'll hear me say, I feel like no one hears me. And you're listening to this, so the irony is not lost on me, my friend. As a leader, as a manager, as an owner, as an influencer, as somebody who's been the kind of like the hype machine for, for other people for most of my career. And now, my friends, what I should also tell you is how fucking judgmental I used to be. And not really of others, but myself, but like also others. Let's be fucking real, BC. And when I really started to check myself on that, and it was actually after moving back to Colorado and sort of getting back into like old social patterns that I hadn't been in for 20 years. And that gave me this opportunity to see things from a different perspective, the perspective that I was at now. And I realized I don't want to gossip. I don't want to judge. I don't want, I don't want to spend any time really thinking about how somebody else is doing something because that doesn't matter. Like that's none of my business, right? And what I will say is the level of a pr profound pr appreciation and enoughness that I get to experience is not only so overwhelming, it like makes me cry, but also like my life has leveled up to this place where I, I pinch myself multiple times a day being like, I can't believe this is my real life. And letting go of judgment was probably the most profound change I've made in the last 10 years. Next problem, second guessing. Did you like that segue? That's like having a phone conversation with me. There's no hello, there's no goodbye. It is, it is abrupt, but second guessing. And I, I can't even like the amount of people in my experience because I make decisions so quickly. So I, I actually do have quite a few different people who rely on me for that. And I, I witness how much energy they spend on wondering, did we do the right thing? Was that the right thing? And then there's often a lot of like blaming and shaming that goes around with that as well, because they're like, oh, well, we did this, but we shouldn't have done this. And this is why you're wrong. And this is why I, I could have been right, but I wasn't right. And now everything's wrong and blah, 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 blah. And this is, this is a big one for me, actually, in this moment right now. The way to balance, not the second guessing, but the solution to this, because this is one of the solutions to everything, according to the author, is you only and ever speak the truth. You do not be defensive. So what that means is <laughs> this this is the this was the like bing light like proverbial like light turning on over my head. If the truth isn't useful, you don't need to speak it. Like what we're focusing on here is is exchanging useful truths. So my opinion <laughs> of my judgment or just like sticking my nose in somewhere it doesn't belong. And as a projector, like if I'm not invited, they don't want to hear it. So like being truthful and honest, I interpreted that as basically telling everybody, like literally word vomiting everything that was happening in my brain hole in real time. Turns out not everybody wants to know my opinion. Shock horror. <laughs> the second I stopped sharing it, everything got a lot easier. But like, the second I stopped having it, like I legitimately just stopped 
giving a shit about things that don't have anything to do with me. Yeah, it, my experience here, shit got a lot easier. But if you find yourself ruminating, second guessing, experiencing blame, shame, tune into how truthful you're being. I'm going to give you like a really, actually, no, I'm not going to give you that weird example. I was going to talk about my, okay, I guess I am going to give you that weird example. Does that qualify as second guessing? The meta of this episode. <laughs> uh, at the Christmas dinner, my family uh, neglected to get anything vegetarian. And I didn't really realize until like two thirds of the way through the meal. And so then I wanted to have a giant sook and I was complaining about it to one of my mentors who said, BZ, after 25 years of being a fucking vegetarian, you didn't know there was meat in that? No, I call bullshit. And in that moment, I realized like, I think I did know. I just wanted Christmas dinner more. And I was like, I, I kind of wanted my family to be the assholes that fucked me over and put like meat, like ham in the stuffing or whatever it was. And she was right. Like, was I conscious of it in that moment? No, because I was having like a little bratty. There was a lot kind of going on with my family at the time. Probably a more pertinent example for this conversation is like with my business partner. There were conversations I just didn't want to have because I was afraid they would be too hard. And after working with her for a few years now, what I realized is if it's an important conversation that's going to affect the business, it's worth it. And I can trust her to handle it. And it's not for me to be like, am I going to hurt her feelings or is this going to be a fight and a struggle or is this going to be an argument? It is for me to speak my truth. Next problem, focus. Like having a hard time concentrating, having a hard time doing the things that you don't want to do, having a hard time finishing the things, starting the things. His balance, his solution, I suppose I should say their solution, is take a big step back. And I like I tune into this all the time. Sometimes I feel like my nose is on the actual like canvas. And so when I go into like meditation or my quiet spaces or walking to try and really like think about something, sometimes it like I close. It feels like I've got my nose against the wall and I cannot I can't see all the moving pieces because I'm too close to it. And so what he suggests is not just take time to really think about the big picture, but do this every day. And this is one of those repetitive, constant pieces you get, you know, around visualization, like Neville Goddard's imaginal techniques, like manifestation, goal setting theory. You think through the whole scenario, but do it from like your life instead of your day or do it from, you know, the beginning and end of the entire experience rather than just this one conversation. So like, what is my end goal with the financial consulting firm? Not how do I want my business partner to respond to this client conversation? But we'll get to more into this in the next episode. Doing that every day, like taking some time to just really zone out, you know, go to that 30,000 foot view of you and your life and your goals and everything you're trying to create will create the ability to focus and concentrate in the moment. Next up, experiencing what you feel like is chaos, anger, that like unpredictable sort of emergency or problem, but it elicits like a really strong response from you. Like, I don't, I'm not okay with this. The solution for this one, and maybe you can relate to this, maybe you can't, but have you ever wished failure on someone else? Have you ever hoped, well, I hope this doesn't, you know, I, I don't want this to go well for them or they don't deserve this or it's, it's going to come back around to them. Play with it. See if you catch yourself on every time 
you wish someone else ill will. See how that affects the drama and the chaos and the anger and the fight in your business or your experience. That's not one I have a lot of familiarity with. I'm generally like running my own race and and almost like a little on the spectrum. I don't ever really find myself wishing others ill will, but like I, I, I see a lot of people and I get to work with a lot of people who have a fuck ton of chaos in their business and their life. And there's a lot of retribution in their experience. There's a lot of, well, this happened to me and I, that person deserves it and blah, 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 blah. And when we kind of release those experiences, and that's, that's obviously unrelated to the diamond cutter, but things calm down. They experience a lot more peace. What about, and, and I picked this one, not so much for me, but for you, because I, most of my clients struggle with, with hiring and, you know, scaling their businesses and building their teams because they think people around them are unreliable. The balance for this, the solution for this one is how consistent and dependable are you in every aspect of your life? And see how he's like, what he's doing is that we experience these external challenges and problems. And he's just like, I mean, maybe they're external. Here's what you can do right now to work on you to transform your experience. And this one's, this one's another hard pill to swallow. Kind of like never begrudging others of their own success. How consistent, how dependable are you? And maybe it's, it's actually with you. Like, do you do everything you say you're going to do? I, I mean, I, there's, I definitely don't do everything I say I'm going to do. I acknowledge that. I don't know if that's my saving grace or not, but I, I, don't, I don't have a lot of unreliable people in my experience. In fact, I feel blessed with the support and the people that are around me. Competition. Something, a, a lot, especially early business owners, I would say but like early stage and late stage business owners are hyper fixed on competition. The balance, the solution, how do you treat yourself? How kind, how supportive, how appreciative are you of you? All of you. I think that's fascinating. What I will say is on this one in terms of me, the more secure I got in myself, the less fucks I gave about everybody else. And my friend, I am a business coach. I used to be a band manager, like probably two of the most competitive roles at the times that I was doing them, like for an individual to take on. Obviously, it's not like, you know, I sell like widgets or Amazon lighters or whatever. But if you are worried about the competition, my question would be, or the author's question would be, is how do you treat yourself? Last one I'm, an, I'm just going to talk about because I mentioned it earlier, and this one has been, has been really personal for me. No one sees you. No one hears you. The balance is avoid all useless talk. See yourself. Basically, don't say anything unless someone's asked you to say it. Like, <laughs> if you're doing a bunch of useless talking, gulp. <laughs> But you tuned into this, so you asked for it. The point being, there's a lot of patterning in here. And I think what Michael and Christy are saying over and over and over again is this is an inside job. It's not about what's happening out there. It's all about what's happening in here. And I'm, you can't see me. I'm pointing to my heart right now. But you could you know, slap yourself on the head if you want to as well. It's all about balance. This external energy 
is a slingshot from your internal experience. And so when you tune into what's, again, this inside job, when you investigate that and tune into it, you can find balance in the moment and you can shift it. And that, like I've said it before, I'll say it again, balance is a verb. They're giving you the solutions to very common, very superficial business problems. But these are the types of problems that take businesses and leaders down because they're so busy externalizing it and they refuse to create balance. And this is happening because of honesty. Are they being truthful with themselves? Are they being truthful with their goals? Are they being truthful in their businesses and their business practices? And like those three things for me, I would say are, are what I've been focusing on the most, probably really since I became a business coach, but since I got out of the music industry and all I can say is I'm legitimately living my dream life and my clients, like the people that I work with, every single one of them are creating the lifestyles and that might be the business. It might be the job. It might be the relationship. It's usually a combination of all three financial security by reclaiming their experiences and, and understanding it. This, it all comes from me seeking balance. So how can we kind of neutralize this experience and being brutally fucking honest with themselves about it? And a lot of the times it actually comes back to like, is this even really what I want? Why did I want this? Why did I create this? Like, wh why is this problem even here? So again, this is just part one. I kind of wanted to, it felt like, I don't know, I, I just found those prescriptive business like solutions and, and the problems so relatable. And I remember the first time I read this book, I actually just skipped to that because I wasn't really ready for the heady stuff. So I think that's why like these episodes are going to be done in two parts. But if you're curious, you'll have another, it should be about four weeks until we get into the second part. So you can get the diamond cutter. I bought it on the bookstore.org, which is my favorite little independent bookshop. Well, it's, not, it's like a directory, so I can see which independent bookstore has it and buy it from there. The revised version is fantastic. I also have it on my Kindle if, you know, that's your jam. But it's one of those, it's one of those books that like is always on my shelf. And he even talks about using it like an oracle, like just flip to a, a problem and, and see how it's showing up in your experience, which I love. But this is, you know, a lot of the stuff you're going to find me talking about in my blogs and articles. You can check those out at NicoleBZ.com. It's what my social media content is really channeling. <laughs> the BZ channel aptly titled. But yeah, this is this is the stuff I love to think about. I love to explore. I love reading. As you know, I feel like, you know, the, I called this the quantum business book club and it makes my brain work in a way that feels like a quantum computer. I don't know what that actually means, but it makes my brain feel like it's a computer and I can <laughs> reprogram it and rewire it and delete all the malware and write new software applications and just be like a complete fucking nerd about it all. So with that, I'm going to hop off. I cannot wait to do the second part of the diamond cutter. You know where to find me. Hello at NicoleBZ.com. If you've got any book recommendations, holla at your girl. In the meantime, I'm going to get back to Italy, my friend. Thank you so much for listening. Oh, share it, review it. I feel like everybody always thinks there's so many reviews for these episodes. There are not. <laughs> but yeah, DM me if you've got topics you want me to cover. I can't, I can't wait to connect with you. And lots of things happening. The anti-business school, new one-to-one -one coaching, less one-to-one -one coaching as well. Expect all of that some September 2020. Two? Jesus, I just forgot what year it was. That's the sign for me to stop talking. Thanks for listening. I love you. Bye.